Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1. We thought the war at last was ended. Today, our days of peace begin. We thought our joys would be unending. We thought our light would never dim. The skies are strange. It is here, Galadriel. The moment we feared. Evil does not sleep. It waits. Beyond the darkness, tempting shadow to bury us all beneath the mountain. He has not one name, but many. If you heard of him, lad, if you heard of Sauron. who we shall be. There can be no trust between hammer and rock. Eventually one or the other must surely break. been told many lies of Middle-earth. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Series podcast, where today we are discussing The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Season 1. I'm your host, Matt Negley, and time of recording is 9.03 p.m. on October 21st, 2022. And here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello. And from Feeling Film, we have, returning to the show once again, Aaron White. Hello, happy to be here. And also returning to the show, got great feedback from our Stranger Things Season 4 episode, culture writer for RogerEbert.com, Brendan Hodges, everybody. Hey guys, excited to be here. I'm very excited to dive into this show. Uh, for listeners, will probably know that the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson is my favorite movie of all time. I have read uh, the books, and it's been a while because, let's face it, I'm not much of a reader. I'm more of a movie watcher. So I've read the books only once, <laughs> but I've seen the movies numerous times, including, yes, the Hobbit trilogy, which I haven't seen as much because I've got issues with it. But here we are today. We have the Amazon series, the most expensive television series ever made, actually, with a production budget that is worth at least a billion dollars for five seasons i love that it's rival for most expensive movie or at least i mean most expensive tv show up there is uh the morning show of all things <laughs> like kidding? how really oh i'm not kidding <laughs> oh, those actors salaries salaries, salaries yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> well this is of course based on the work by J.R.R. tolkien not necessarily based on the movies made by Peter Jackson, although there are some elements from those that do carry over. Obviously, I think the show creators wanted to stay as faithful as possible to Tolkien and also to the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy, while also forging their own path. I know for a lot of us, it's been a long journey just tracking the production of uh, the history of this production. And then, of course, watching it uh, week by week as it unfolded on Amazon. And now that it's finished in its entirety, knowing that there are more seasons to go. I don't know who I want to start off here with. Why don't we start off with Howitt? Howitt, just like general opening thoughts. Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I can talk about the Lord of the Rings films because I think that's kind of important. Um, uh, oh, crazy hot take. Um, the Lord of the Rings movies are pretty good. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, so, yeah, of course, I love those films. Um, films, I said plural, just to get under Matt's skin. Mm, um, mm, okay. And uh, I think the Hobbit films are fine. Again, no no, no real hot takes there. Uh, I'm pretty much in the consensus opinion there. Um, but I'm not really into the lore of, of it all, you know, the Tolkien lore. Um, I just read the books, the Lord of the Rings books this year for the first time. But even so, I, yeah, I'm just not into the Tolkien lore. Um the worlds, the characters, the history, all, all of it's a little lost on me. Um, and so, you know, because of that and because I know that large ensembles across this whole world is basically part of the whole Tolkien experience, my main concern heading into this series was, will it be convoluted? Will there be too many plot lines, too many characters? It's just hard to follow or you have to be super invested. And and thankfully, the answer to those concerns for me is no. Um it is not hard to follow. The stakes are so clear. Sauron has disappeared. Galadriel feel, feels his power growing and knows he's rising again. It, it, the stakes are clear. Um, and of course, there's there are still a lot of plot lines and people groups and locations. And so 
you know, it does take some concentration to follow, but it's but it is much more clear than than I was uh, worried about. So the other part of that is I, I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know maybe any characters names outside of Galadriel and, and Elrond. I feel like it'll take me a lot of wait, what stack one guy. Um, but even so, the big picture story is clear and it's compelling. And, and that's what's most important. Um and then the next thing that stands out is, is that the production value is you see that billion dollars on screen. I mean, it is uh, I don't know if this is like a controversial opinion. I don't feel like it is. But is this has got to be the best looking TV show of all time. Right. I'm even trying to think of 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 uh, I, I think it's better looking than House of Car. I mean, uh, House, what am I saying? Uh, better looking than uh, the Game of Thrones. Uh, I think it's. I think it is just stunning. You can see they put the money to good use, so it's beautiful look, to look at. I saw the first two episodes in theaters, like the, at the Cinemark event that they did in the XD theaters, and it was amazing. So, uh, yes, overall, my overall thoughts are: I am very much into this series. I'm very excited to see where it's going. It feels epic, but it's appropriately grounded, um, and it's not just building off of our love of the film series it's not just a cheap knockoff of those things it is wholly it's its own thing uh and and i'm very very into it history is complicated the story of human progress is long messy and riddled with controversies big and small on conflicted we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures we try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Brendan Hodges, what about you, sir? Oh, no, I hate to deliver um, kind of the opposite uh, opinion of the show. That's why I strategically went to you next. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. So uh, just my history and background with Lord of the Rings and Tolkien, um, I was raised a bit on Tolkien. Um, me and my friends in junior high, uh, younger even, were fans of the books. And we had read the books and the material prior to the movies coming out. And the movies, as I'm sure is the case for most of us, were a massive part of our childhood, you know. Um, you know, and I remember in gym class, you'd have somebody right before they kicked the soccer ball, say for Frodo or something, you know. And it was just that massive kind of cultural event for, for me. And it, I, so because of that, I have a massive amount of attachment to it um and even as someone who you know deeply loves film and the history of film lord of the rings remains one of my favorite series of films of all time even to go as far to say top five and hearing this series was announced and knowing 
the age the material was drawing from, I knew that it was going to be dicey to adapt because the material in this period, for the most part, is pretty vague. It was not intended, unlike, say, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, to work as a narrative. What Tolkien really left in this period of the Second Age were some bullet points of things that happened. And I knew there was going to be a lot of interpretation and then just the necessity of turning this into a series. So because of that, I'm sure like some of you, I was pretty alarmed when I discovered the showrunners had very little experience coming in. I was pretty trepidatious about that. Some of the early marketing didn't really catch my eye. Um, and unfortunately, it turns out at the end of the day that while the show has some things I think it does very well, and I'm sure we're going to get into each of those things at some point, I think it does many more things poorly. And the number one thing that I think it kind of misses the boat on is, I don't mean this in kind of a stupid way, but it, it misses the boat mainly on being good. Um, what I mean by that is, it's very apparent to me, episode by episode, the showrunners don't really know what they're doing. The plot, the character arcs, character motivation, they're all, all very unmotivated, in my opinion. It very much seems like they had a bunch of stuff they wanted to ha happen, but they didn't know how to make it happen. So it has this feeling of being really static. It's neither the organic slow buildup of drama that is the Fellowship of the Ring? Or is it this breakneck pace adventure series? It sort of had, has this really weird middle ground where it's always trying to create the illusion of action, the illusion of incident. And very often, very little is actually happening in the season. Um, I know we're going to go into specific stuff later, but the, the greatest example I can give is the Harfoot arc Basically, nothing happens in, you know, eight episodes of th that particular story arc. Very, very little happens. It's a weirdly static season where there's very little plot movement in it. Um, and it just generally felt kind of incomprehensible. The broad strokes of what they want to achieve are totally there. But episode by episode, it, it loses the plot, so to speak. And... While I do agree that it is the best-looking show of all time insofar as the quality of the CGI, maybe a controversial opinion that I'll have tonight is some of it looks beautiful, but a lot of it, to me, looks quite ugly, actually, um, uh, just aesthetically. It often has really flat, very brightly, almost overlit lighting. Um, it has a very, I don't know, this, the sets look like sets. The costumes look like costumes. And I really missed that lived-in realism that you found in Peter Jackson's movies. And indeed in Game of Thrones and now House of the Dragon. Um, and while the first two episodes are quite cinematic by Bayona, the director, um, who I think is very good, the subsequent episodes fall into this very TV style of direction where it becomes more coverage based meaning there's multiple cameras and they kind of build the scene in the edit and the shots are not as motivated or well selected or or uh set up um and i i honestly just felt like it was a massive waste of resources and just a massive missed opportunity okay
This is why I went to Brendan next, because I like jumping around here between the different opinions. Let's kick it over next to Aaron. Well, wow, wow. Um, I'm not going to just immediately disagree with all of that. Um, I know I actually agree with some of it, although I came out very, very positive on the show myself. Like you, Matt, this is my favorite film of all time. And <laughs> I am what I would call a casual super fan of the show. Uh, I covered it week by week on my podcast, and I made sure to let people know I'm no talking scholar. I have read the books, all of them, many times. I've read many of the side stories. I've read the Silmarillion, the appendices at least once each. But I don't remember all of it. It's very dense, of course. And I was actually really, really nervous about the show. In fact, I was probably more nervous than just about anything I've ever watched in my life because it matters so much to me. It's my favorite IP. What was like your reaction when they dropped the teaser during the Super Bowl and we got like our first look at it? You remember that? I do. I remember being really excited and just completely worried that that was going to falsely set up my expectations mm. and they were going to come crashing down. And so despite I tried to very carefully to manage my own personal hype for this because it, it is just very, very personal for me. I have half of my house is just decked out in Middle Earth stuff. And so I really, really wanted it to achieve the tone of Tolkien's writings as best as possible and the kind of physical tone of Jackson's universe. That's Those were the main things I wanted. I wasn't as concerned with being perfectly true to the lore because like one of you or both of you mentioned, it is something where we knew going in that there was going to have to be a lot of interpretation. There was going to be a lot of creative liberty. This is set 3,000 years before Lord of the Rings. And th the biggest thing about the show and the, the plotting for me was that we have all of these different groups that are going on their individual journeys and experiencing, we're being introduced to them. We're having to kind of get to know all of these people. So season one, I don't think there's any way this is going to be the best season because there's so much groundwork that has to be laid. And in the other big issue is that they are so far apart for much of this season. And there is a gap in age that has to be closed in order to make a show like this work in the way that the story that they want to tell, because if you actually told it kind of in a linear fashion, the way that maybe it should go, the elves and the dwarves are going to outlive the human characters and it's just not going to work. So you've got to condense everything and kind of make it all happen as if it was one moment in time. And so I was totally okay with all of that. I thought it looked incredible a lot of the time. And like Brendan said, I actually agree. I thought there were some times when I was just like, what's going on? Like what, what happened here? The CGI just had spurts of being very poor. And then we would get a moment like the Balrog and the versus the elf and the tree. And I would just have my jaw on the ground or, you know, an aerial shot introducing us to Casa Doom in its glory days, things like that. I think those wow moments sort of, I don't want to say they kind of made me overlook its faults, but they overshadowed its faults in such a big way 
that it worked really well for me. And then from a character perspective, I think that they chose some good story arcs to follow. And that I also agree with Brendan. It is definitely dragged out too long. Like I wanted the Harfoots. I love everything we learned about their culture and the setup for them interacting with an Istar um, may or may not be a certain person we know and how that could play into what we know of that character later on and all of these things. But my goodness, there were a couple of episodes in the middle of this where, like you said, nothing happens. And it's just not how a show works. Like this probably would have worked at, well, it was eight episodes, right? So like a six episodes of really well-paced content are in here. Um, and it, it just kind of, yeah, episode seven was a letdown for me. So for example, like episode six, I think it was, it was eight total, correct? So maybe mm-hmm. make sure. Yep. Okay. So six was so incredible, right? Ending with Mount Doom exploding. And then we hit episode seven and I was just like a complete crawl where literally almost nothing took place. It was just conversations about the aftermath and and nothing really progressive. And then there's literally one good scene. That's it. In yeah. episode seven between uh, Prince and King Durin with Peter Mullen just absolutely killing it. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. And so and, and we also I think they also struggled in the show to kind of keep each group progressing at the same kind of pacing. Like we would go in a whole episode without seeing the dwarves. And I would note my, you know, disappointment. Like that was my favorite group to see. And I would have to go an entire week without ever getting to see anything happen with them. Uh, That was a little tough. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. To be fair, too, like Game of Thrones was like that back in the day with the, you know, jumping around between storylines and some weeks you wouldn't catch up with a certain group, uh, sometimes for weeks in a row. So I'm kind of like used to that form of storytelling, I think, at that point with these like big fantasy epics, if you will. No? Yeah, no, I think so. I agree. And but I mean, my overall is very, very positive on the show. And as a fan, I, I think that the poetry of Lord of the Rings and of Tolkien's writings comes through in the visual language of the series and definitely in the writing. It's got its moments. It's hit hit and miss. Sometimes it sounds kind of corny. Sometimes it is really compelling and interesting and just sounds very smart. And I think that for me personally, I felt like I was in Tolkien's universe and it was a really great contrast to be watching this at the same time as House of the Dragon, because you could definitely understand the difference in those universes and how they play out. The Lord of the Rings as a world is all about hope. It's about characters who have inherent goodness 
and the world is built around the idea of an ultimate hope. Whereas Game of Thrones is kind of very opposite of that. It's very <laughs> cynical and it's everybody has some bad in them versus good. And so uh, I liked the juxtaposition and how those two things played out. And I'm really glad that we got it the way that we did. Yeah, I'm glad that they were airing side by side as well, even though my experience of watching them side by side week by week wasn't the case. Um, I very much have been following House of the Dragon every single week religiously, where with this, I did put it off for a bit because I got to admit, like, I'm not one of the haters uh, that trashed this the minute I saw the initial trailer, heard about the casting oh my god the humanity you you would think that the world was ending the way the internet reacted to the fact that there were going to be people of color in the tolkien universe my god everyone calm the fuck down seriously some of those characters actually turned out to be the best characters of the fucking season <laughs> so like i don't really know what people were going on about people were worried about galadriel being like a girl boss like type character and all this stuff my god and some of the discourse that I've just seen surrounding the show just seems so petty and rooted in so many other deeper personal issues that I think the people that are issuing these critiques have. Where, Brendan, a lot of the stuff that you were bringing up before, I actually do agree with. Like, in terms of writing, structure, pacing, this was not a perfect season of television by any stretch. I do disagree with some other points you brought up, but I'm not going to sit here and blindly defend this show just because it reminds me of my favorite movie of all time when I watch it. It makes me feel good to be in this world, to be listening to uh, Tolkien's uh, dialogue, or at least dialogue that's trying to come off like Tolkien's dialogue sometimes. And then, of course, the production design, the fact that it was shot in New Zealand, it, it does give you the sense that it is like connected to the Jackson Hobbit and Lord of the Rings films in a way. I actually think it's somewhere nestled like in between visually because how you were praising the visuals a moment ago. And I have to admit, I agree like J.A. Bayona, the first two episodes, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, wow, this is the most cinematic show I've ever seen to the point where I was like, this isn't even a show. This is a goddamn movie. This looks absolutely breathtaking. And after that, yes, I did feel a pretty significant drop off. Even during Udun, that episode, I'll get into in a little bit here, but that should have been another jaw dropper. But for specific choices that were made during it, it wasn't for me. And I will admit, like the series had its moments from visual effects to cinematography, production design, costume designs, where like, I, I was just blown away by it. But then there were some other points where I was, like, reminded, oh, wait, yes, this is a television show after all. So it is a little inconsistent. It's never going to be the same dark, gritty, grounded realism of the Lord of the Rings trilogy because those were shot on film. They had a lot of tangible, practical effects. And this... I don't think it goes as far as The Hobbit did, where I really got the sense that everything in that world was so manufactured to the point that it eliminated all stakes and made it feel like a cartoon. Um, I didn't really, I just didn't get get the same magic out of it the same way I did from uh, the original trilogy. 
So in a way, I think Rings of Power is like somewhere in between where it's trying to take modern technology and blend it with some practical elements while also simultaneously trying to look like obviously a modern show that's trying to outclass everything else that's on television today. Um, what are like any particular, I'll, we'll start off with this. Were there like any particular moments of visual effects or sequences uh, that from just a pure visual standpoint that really stand out to you from this season? I think the whole uh, Mount Doom sequence uh, w- was pretty stunning and the aftermath um, for the most part with the, you know, the the, the world turning orange and smoky. I, I thought that was really stunning. I'm with you on that. I, I, I really liked the Mount Doom creation. I, I do hate that in episode later, uh, in episode seven, they treat it like it's like this grand reveal with the name drop. And I was like, we know this already. That was, like, that was so silly. We knew this an episode ago. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. That, that was very silly. Yeah. I, I do appreciate, though, I will give the show credit for this. I do appreciate that every time we went to a new location, they would show where we were on the screen, sometimes even using the map to help people along uh, from a visual standpoint. Super helpful. Really, really like those moments. But my God, that Mordor title reveal just, sorry, cast into the fire. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was terrible. <laughs> hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our season one review of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power here on the Next Best Series podcast. In order to get the full two hour long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Pictures Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you'll get the rest of this review in full ad free. You have been listening to the Next Best Series podcast, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.